there is no failure. There's only learning and there's, there's only really failure if you want to contextualize it when you give up on something. There's nothing wrong with trying a new strategy to get the result because the other stuff you were doing didn't work. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm excited to bring to you guys this week Nick Bradley as our guest. Nick Bradley is a world-renowned business growth expert who works with entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors transforming good companies into great ones. Over the last decade, he has built, bought, and sold multiple businesses. 22 businesses was the last count with a combined valuation of $5.2 billion. He also works with private equity and venture capital firms across the UK and the US, leading business turnarounds, mergers, acquisitions, and scale-ups. He's the founder of The Fielding Group, a growth accelerator that helps companies improve business performance in order for entrepreneurs to create freedom, build wealth, and live life without limits. Originally from Australia, Nick is a dedicated family man who has a strong background in physical fitness, having completed 67 marathons and 24 ultra marathons worldwide. He's a qualified personal trainer and performance coach. So he's got a little bit going on. And you guys know, we Nick and I have already been talking a little bit about that amazing mindset that comes from endurance sports. You guys hear me talk about that all the time. So I'm excited to dig into that. Um, he is absolutely committed to personal growth and becoming the best version of himself and inspiring others to achieve the same. His mission is to help create empires, bringing entrepreneurial skill set and mindset to people all over the world as a driving force of progression and prosperity. I am so excited to dig into this episode with Nick. I think that we're going to have so many great things to talk about. Really quickly, before we do, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Design Your Life Book Club. If you have wanted to really dig into content, to learn from people who have made mistakes, put those mistakes down on paper and given you an opportunity to shortcut your path to success, then the Design Your Life Book Club is for you. We pick a book every single month. We read it as a group. We implement the things that are in that book. And then I connect you with the author and you get the opportunity to have a conversation with that person to be able to ask the questions that you want to ask and get deeper learnings from that book that you may not have gotten from reading it. I am so excited to be able to bring this back to you and it is open for enrollment for another three days. So if you are interested, please head to Success developmentsolutions.com slash book club, and let's get you started on this journey to success. With that being said, let's go ahead and have a conversation with Nick. Nick, how's it going? Thank you so hey, much for being here. Very good to be here, Amber. It's an absolute delight. Thank you for having me on the show. I am so excited. So you have so many things that we could talk about in your background and your skill set, but I want to get to know you just a little bit first. So what 
led to Nick, the, the business, um, strategist that you are now like was this always how long have you something? got, have you got Amber? i know right was this always <laughs> something you wanted to do were you like a 16 year old kid thinking man i want to help businesses grow when i grow up not quite no, no I, didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know what i was doing back then no i mean I'll, I'll give you the short version of what is a relatively interesting checkered sort of roller coaster of a story because i um i ended up starting my first business when i was 17 and this was back in a place called adelaide south australia which is right down the very bottom of Australia. So it's actually the part that's quite cold. It's close to Antarctica, all that sort of stuff. And uh, it's a city that's famous for three things. It's famous for lots of churches. It's got heaps of churches, crazy amount of churches. Uh, it's got really big, great white sharks. So some of the open water scenes from the film Jaws were filmed in, in the waters down there. Awesome. And the last thing <laughs> it's famous for, and this is true, right? It's crazy, is serial killers. It's got more serial killers um, per head of population than any other city in the world. So it's no a kidding. safe place to be both on land and in water, right? I didn't stay there very long. So this is the point. So, <laughs> so I started this business. Um, I'm 47 now. I was, uh, as I said, sort of 17, 18. And it was a personal training fitness business. Um, back when personal training wasn't a thing. We're talking sort of early 90s. So the only people who could afford personal training back then were stockbrokers, doctors, lawyers, professions, that sort of thing. It was like a luxury. But I started that business and I you know, didn't know what I was doing. Managed to hire a small team. And I sold that business. I exited that business for 3000 Australian dollars, right? This is true, which probably would buy a Starbucks coffee today. I think it wasn't, it wasn't the best exit and we can get into some other stuff around that, but that allowed me to leave Adelaide. And then I ended up going to Sydney and I worked in the world of corporate for a long time under News International, Rupert Murdoch's big empire. And I was involved in, in marketing, brand strategy, and then eventually corporate strategy mergers and acquisitions and strategic growth. And I stayed in that world, if you like, for God, 15 years. Wow. Now I went from, went from Australia to the UK, to the U S back to the UK where I'm, I am today, where I live now. Um, but over that time I was involved in, in really big business stuff, lots of different exits and acquisitions. The total figure at the moment is I've done 117 acquisitions and 26 wow. business exits over that wow. career. And I ended up moving into the world of private equity after my corporate career. And now I'm not there anymore. I'm doing something different, but I'll pause there because <laughs> I think there's, as I said, it's a checkered story of yes. lots of different experiences. It's crazy that um, these experiences that you have, is there, can you think back to a situation in your childhood or your life that kind of led to the skills that have allowed you to be this successful dealing in these high numbers and high successful environments? Or was it just kind of adding on top of each other, all of the different experiences that you were in? What it, what it came down to, I think one of the, we'll, we'll talk a lot about mindset, I'm sure in this, in this conversation, but um I, I, you know, I had a number of different challenges growing up and different things happened at different points, which taught me what I would now consider grit and resilience, right? So, so when I was growing up as a young boy, I was really overweight. I was like the, the biggest kid, the fattest kid in school. And I got really badly bullied. I ended up in the hospital. Um, so I had that going on. My dad left when I was two and I didn't have much of a male influence in my life. My grandfather sort of raised me as his son and he was like really gritty. He was the first first Australian to run a marathon after open heart surgery back in 1984. And you can't see behind me, but I've got 
a picture of him finishing that and oh. I've got his medal actually just over my shoulder. So your family's full of underachievers is what you're saying. Like well, people that, yeah. <laughs> gritty, gritty people, right? Yes, who are quite driven. that's so crazy, man. But not, not really, not what, not what I would call successful without work, right? So okay. it's not like things just land on your lap. There was a lot of, you have to, you have to move things. So, so to your question, I was successful because I didn't give up and I pushed. And I think a lot of the times these days people give up and it's a game of attrition, the person who can last the longest. Yeah. And so for me, it was just making sure that I, I just did everything I could possibly do. Yeah. I remember when I was first getting into the obstacle course racing world, and we've talked about this a little bit, um, sprinkled it in that, um, I remember my coach saying to me that you never know how close you are to completing an obstacle. And it would be great if there was like this number of repetitions that was like the magic number and then you knew it was going to be good, but it could be like four or it could be like 72. And we always seem to quit like two times before we would have been successful. And I think that that applies so much in business and growth as well is that we get so close, but we don't have any way of knowing how close we are and we walk away. Well, you know, the best definition of, of, you know, when people talk about failure is there is no failure, right? There's only learning and there's, there's only really failure if you want to contextualize it when you give up on something, right? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with trying a new strategy to get the result the other stuff you were doing didn't work. And I, and I think, you know, I'm quite hardcore about this sort of stuff with people that like, you know, if it really matters, right. If the outcome or the result really matters, just do whatever it takes. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people I think don't do that to your point. They give up when they're very, very close to achieving the thing that they ultimately want. Yeah. What do you think it is that causes people to think that something is important enough to start, but not important enough to finish? I, I think we create things as well. So, you know, I, I just did a, a podcast episode on my show recently, which was titled, are you giving up? And the whole point of that was, you know, is this the year that you are actually going to do what you said, or is this the year that you're going to do what you've always done? Right. Which is start with momentum or start with an intention and a goal and then give up four weeks later. Yeah. And, and I think what I said in that, and I think it's applicable to your question is the, the magic doesn't happen in setting a goal, right? The magic doesn't happen in setting a vision. It, 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 it happens when you take deliberate conscious action and that doesn't have to be much, but it has to be consistent. Yeah. I like that a lot. Your podcast that you're mentioning is called scale up. And that's a term that I haven't heard a lot. What does that mean to you? So what was interesting about it, and I'll, I'll kind of give the, the very brief story of this because I think it makes makes a bit of sense, is when I was in the last few years of working with the private equity firms, um, have you seen, um, have you ever seen Pretty Woman? Yes. I was kind of like Richard Gere, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> Not look like him, but I would I would go into businesses and I would restructure them. Okay. And, and that's quite hardcore. So you'd go in there and fire people and you'd make big decisions and all that sort of stuff. And effectively the term scale up, right, is different from startup. And we can talk about the transition that every entrepreneur needs to make to, to grow something of size, right? And what scale up actually means. But I was, I, I built a reputation for being able to scale a company. 
And the difference, I suppose, if you're starting a business, it can be creative, it can be chaotic and can be fun, but it's relatively simple, right? There's not too much complexity. When you're starting to build something substantial, a big business, an empire of businesses or whatever that is, you've got to start to be able to be you know, better at leadership or the ability to spot talent, put people in the right seats. You've got to work with processes and systems and all that. You've got to bring structure in. And so for me, scale up was about the, the ability to, to build a machine with precision right? And to be build something that's predictable. But, and here's the thing, scale up is also about your identity, mm -hmm. right? And so I often say, and I believe this to be true, is that you can only scale a business to the level of your identity. So it starts with you first. So there's two parts to my podcast. There's the mindset identity part, you know, who are you and what do you want to be and why? And what are you going to then do, which is going to make your business amazing, which therefore can make your life amazing as well. Yeah, you can only scale your business to the level of your identity. That's really powerful. And it plays in both the mindset side of things and the practical side of things, which have to kind of grow off of each other as you get more successful. So I think that's really powerful. Yeah. What do you think are the biggest mistakes that you see from people who are starting a business from scratch in that startup area? And they aren't thinking about scaling from the beginning because they're thinking about just executing what they have now. And then as they grow, they don't have the processes in place. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see there? I almost feel like it's a rite of passage to go through all of the mistakes. You kind of got to do it, right? <laughs> People ask me, it's how true. do I not do it? I say, well, you know, you're building, you're building the muscle, right? So there's a bit where you have to go through the pain because the muscle gets stronger, right? In, in many ways. And a muscle, I mean more broadly than just physicality, obviously. Emotional muscle, mental muscle, spiritual muscle. Um, but the, the thing I find is most people who enter the world of entrepreneurship or business ownership, one of the highest values they have is freedom, right? They like this idea that they can control their destiny. But they don't fully appreciate that there's a price to everything in life, right? You know, it's, it's often said, choose your heart, right? It's hard to get on a train at 6 a.m. and commute to work and get underappreciated by an employer, do that for 40 years and then retire with regret. That's hard, right? It's also hard to go out there and hustle at the beginning of a business to find your first customer, to be able to pay your bills, to continue to find other customers, to bring money in, to start to build the thing you know, to, to, to then you get sick and not get benefits or your person, your team was, that's hard, right? So choose your heart, right? Yeah. The one thing I do say with entrepreneurship though, is the upside, if you are prepared to go on that journey and it is the journey, uh, is significantly greater in my opinion than, than just settling for something that, you know, was handed to you or is the expectation of others. And, you know, I don't say that, and I'll be really clear here, I don't think everyone should be entrepreneurs, right? I think you can be entrepreneurial in your own environment. But I do think that if you have that sort of itch that needs to be scratched, you don't want to be the person at 60 or 70 years of age that didn't at least try. Yeah. So for you, when you, when we use the word entrepreneur, is that a profession or a mindset to you? I think it's both. I mean, I, you know, I, I think... You know, my best, um, I suppose, definition or the definition I like the best of entrepreneurship um, is the ability to solve meaningful problems. You know, so so there isn't really a, you know, some people may add to that, uh, you know, in a commercial way. But, I, you know, I, I don't I don't bring the value exchange into that. I think 
you know, the, the greatest entrepreneurs in this world have made big changes that have affected the world in many ways, not just commercially. Okay. And they happen to be paid for the value, if you like, that they create. It's a mindset in terms of, you know, I, I think it's very easy to go out there and say, I'm going to solve problems and I'm going to make an impact. The mindset piece comes in your ability to be able to effectively understand your emotions, right? Understand and check your ego. Yeah. Um, those sort of things, which are, they're very much about how you show up back to the whole idea of your identity, which then I think dictates whether you're going to be successful in that area or not. Yeah. I think that so much of this, you know, we're in an, we're in a society right now where the word entrepreneur gets thrown around so much and it causes people to either say, Hey, that's not what I went through to become an entrepreneur or somebody to say, dude, you're really a business owner. But that mindset piece of just solving problems and that definition is incredibly powerful to allowing you to believe that that's who you are so that you can become that. Yeah. And I think entrepreneurship, you could also argue is a vehicle to the ultimate outcome. So people, you know, and again, this is my view of it, not to be judgmental about it, but people don't want to necessarily be entrepreneurs. They want to, they want to have the outcome of, of what entrepreneurial skill set and mindset can provide. Yeah. You know, back to I that agree. point of freedom. So whenever anybody mentions this, this freedom thing, I love this conversation because I get these flashbacks to when I started my business and my law firm. And I remember thinking my name's on the door. I have complete control over what happens. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And then I just sat in my office going, okay, but what do I do? Like what's next? <laughs> and so that, that, oh, yes. that idea of freedom was so powerful that I forgot that like, if nobody's going to tell me what to do, I'm nobody. And then I'm just going to sit there and not pay my bills. And, and it, it was crazy. So I love this conversation of like freedom has a price. Like everything has a price. Yeah, it does. And I mean, where I focus my time these days uh, is I focus on, on, on getting people to an exit in business. So I tend to work um, with businesses that are scaling rapidly. Um, and the ultimate goal is, is an exit, which I'll define in two ways. So there's two ways of exiting a business, right? You can sell the business for what I call life-changing money, right? Um, or you can exit yourself from the business, but still own the business and sit on a beach somewhere and, you know, have a, an income coming in or dividends from the business. But you're ultimately not the person that's in the middle all the time. And of course, if, if either of those things aren't, you know, attractive to someone and you want to be <laughs> in the business running it all the time, great. But, you know, what I found to be true is you're not going to make serious money doing that. You're not going to build serious ability to be free, to live life on your terms if you're there. So you need to at least start with the end in mind. And a lot of people I find, you know, you asked the question earlier, what are some of the things people need to be thinking about or the mistakes that they are not considering when they start a business? I say, think about your exit now. Think about it at the beginning. Like, you know, what are you building this towards? And, and that will give you clarity of kind of what you're trying to achieve. It's, crazy because what I'm hearing you say is that when you're making these decisions, you need to separate the emotional reason that you're starting the business from the business outcome that you're going to get. Because I know like when I started my coaching business, the idea of thinking of an exit in mind for that, I, first of all, I didn't. And I love that you said that. But second of all, it's painful to almost think about that because you're growing it for a reason. So how do people commit to growing something and think about an exit at the same time? 
Well, you've got to, the way I describe this, um, and I wrote about this recently, as I said, if you're trying to fly a plane without a destination, you're going to end up somewhere and it may be where you want to be, or it may not. Like, let's be frank. You wouldn't, you know, usually just get into a plane and not know where you're going. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't happen, right? Does it? I mean, you know, <laughs> it might be exciting if you're going on a mystery flight or whatever else for once, but quite honestly, if you want to, you know, land in New York from London, you know, and you end up, I don't know, somewhere else, you're not going to be overly happy. So, so my view is you've got to have a destination, right? And you need to know your starting point and then you need to go out there and build a starting business yeah. right? and not focus too much on the end game, but you need to know, because it's funny, I work, as I said, on exits, I get people to a point where they can sell their business for, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Like crazy things. More often than not though, a life-changing exit for someone is into eight figures. So it's somewhere mm -hmm. in that 10 to 20 million. And you know, if you've got 10 million in your bank account right now and you invested in a 7% Vanguard account or something like that, you'll make somewhere between 50 to $60,000 per month for the rest of your life. Okay. So that's, I mean, I don't know what you spend your money on, but I, that's pretty good income, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not chunk change. No, exactly. And, and, you know, creating that sort of exit is possible for a lot of people, you know, for most people who work, go into this world, if they think about it. But the, the point I try and make here is, you know, have a think about what you're trying to do. It might, might not just be money, right? It might just be that you do want to change the world in some way. But I find that the people who focus on the money first have the cash flow and have the resources to go and make a bigger impact. And most wow. of the people that I've helped exit their business, I tell you what they do once they've got that first taste of financial freedom, they go on and, and become wealthier, but they also go on and make a bigger impact. Philanthropy and those sort of things become part of their psychology because they're not thinking about, oh, how am I going to pay for school fees or how am I going to do this? That yeah. whole decision process, that pain that people get, it leaves, it goes. And that's amazing. Yeah, I think this is a really important conversation because I think the idea of, and and I'm not saying I disagree with this, but the Simon Sinek's start with why mentality, which is incredibly mm -hmm. powerful, but I think that that got taken and misunderstood to mean why is all that matters and then focus on that. And this idea of focusing on the money, it's one of those things that's so uncomfortable for us to talk about in most of our societal situations. And so being able to focus on the why seems like an easier thing to do. But being able to focus on the money is the more important because let's be real, we all need it. So I so think why it's do you, why do you synergetic. Think that's true? So let's, let's why, play with this. Why, so, yeah. so it's, it does sell a lot of books, but why do you think why is an easier conversation or an easier thought maybe? I think that why is an easier, th I, I just, for me, I think that the idea of money has been made so taboo in so many different situations. And it's the difference for me as I've gone from um, growing up in kind of this super small town to engaging with really high level, successful business owners and entrepreneurs. It's the difference between that separates those is who's willing to have an open conversation about money and who talks about it as a taboo subject. So I just think that why is easier to talk about because it's emotional and it's personal and it's something that's more well accepted because it doesn't separate people the same way conversations about money does. Okay. Good answer. And I, I think, you know, to build on it, it's, it's a layering, right? It, it's easy to talk about why, because it can be quite ethereal. You don't have to own anything. You don't have to, you don't have to show yeah. up and measure your why, right? You can, you have to measure your leads, right? You have to measure your yeah. revenue and cash flow. 
And and I think because it's a little bit easier and it's more ethereal that people then can gravitate towards it. As I said, it sells a lot of books. Like, you know, I'm not a, a massive fan of, of the concept. So, I mean, I ask when I work with someone and, you know, to be clear, I'm working with six and seven figure business owners that want to get to eight figures and usually want to kind of create that type of exit. Um, I ask them three questions, right? The first question is what we started this conversation with is what is, what is the life-changing number for you? Have you ever asked that question of yourself? Have you ever thought about if someone, you know, turned up one day or you opened up your bank account, you turned on the app, you logged in and you saw a number, right? What would that number need to be for you to go? Yes. Okay. Right. It changes everything for you. You know, it even could be the pathway to generational wealth. It could change your whole, your whole, you know, family line. Right. Yeah. So that's the first question. Second question is where we bring why in. So what's your life changing number is one. Why does that number matter? Okay, so it's the second question. It's not the first question, right? And then the third question I often pose to people, which is the one that no one asks, is Is what you're doing now in your business and in your life to some extent going to get you there? Right? Is it going to get you to the number? And most people look at their businesses or look at their habits and their routines. You know, this is where mindset comes in to some extent. And they go, honestly, no, it's not. And so then right. you go into, what are you going to do about it? And then that, you know, I, I love that progression of conversations because then that puts them in this decision-making process of, is what I said I wanted worth changing the things that I'm doing now that aren't going to bring me there? Yeah. And that's brave as well. So again, even if you're an entrepreneur who's already, you know, or a person that's entered the world of entrepreneurship, uh, this is what I was trying to get across beforehand. It is a journey because it, it kind of, there's always going to be these these up points and low points of the roller coaster that you have to face. Like you might start a business and it might look successful if you project forward to what you want that to be in the next 20 years and it's not going to get you to your outcome. What do you do? You stick doing it or do you, do you pivot and change? Yeah. Right? And that's it. So a lot of people, um, once they ask those powerful questions of themselves, do start to do things differently, not necessarily change everything, but they may have different strategies and tactics uh, that are going to allow them to get on a path that is going to create what they really want. Wow, that's super, super valuable information. I'm so excited that we we're able to dig into that. I think that um, we talked about the idea of mistakes and what's going through my head is the fact that you mentioned that you just have to make them. And I agree with you. The idea that if we knew what mistakes to avoid, we'd just make different ones. And then we would still end up making the same amount of mistakes. They'd just be higher level mistakes that we'd get to learn from. How do we shortcut the process then? How do we make sure that we're not just repeating the same things that we should have already learned from? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's not it, my 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 position on this is not that you have to you have to make every mistake that everyone else has made to learn. Uh, you have to be able to be clear on the stuff that is going to be accelerated versus the stuff that's just going to hit you, right? Because there are so many different things that can change and challenge you in 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 the sort of the journey of business ownership. But to your question, I mean, I and I only learned this, I've got to be honest, I only learned this probably more recently, the last five years than I did the first 15 to 20 years of my career. And that is getting yourself in different environments, right? You know, we talked about coaching and mentoring. Mm -hmm. I've got, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm flying to Florida in two weeks time to go and see my speaking coach, right? I pay him $20,000 for a day. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, <laughs> if you'd asked me about that five years ago, 
I would have fallen off a chair. <laughs> uh, what? Why? What? Like you know, an MBA is you know a little bit more than that. You know, this is where my head was. But you know, if but what I what I've done is I've I've to, to the questions we went through. Once you map out what you're trying to create, and you spend time on that. So I created a 20 year vision um, six years ago, and then I thought, okay, well, what do I know now, and where are the gaps in the immediate you know few years, and who do I need to be around, or who do I need to bring into my world? so that I can learn something here that's going to take me forward, even if it's not the whole part of the journey. And, and I started doing that. So I started getting coaches, mentors. I joined masterminds. I, I started to put myself in different environments, you know, smallest person in the room stuff, right? Really yeah. scary stuff. But then, you, then all of a sudden, it doesn't become scary anymore. And you realize how much you've grown. And I'm going to get this quote wrong, but there's a really um, fabulous quote by Nelson Mandela in his book where he says something along the lines of this. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing feeling when you go back to some place that's absolutely familiar to you, but you see how much you have changed Yeah, and that's it. Right. And so, so the quickest way to your question is not to battle through the struggle. You have to go through an element of struggle, but you know, and I think you kind of have to hit the struggle a little bit first to appreciate, Agreed. but don't stay there forever. And I've had people and I'll finish with this. I've had people come to me, and they've said, Nick, I need help now. And I'll go, okay, what's the problem? We go through all that. And then they say, I've had this problem for eight years. You know, that, 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 this is a recent one. I've had longer and I've had obviously shorter, but I, like what, eight years? What you mean? You mean you've been trying to do this for eight years? Yes. And what you've never asked for help before? No, this is the first time. And that I feel very privileged. <laughs> that I'm yeah. the person they've come to. But you've got to think about that for a second. Let's bring it back to some numbers, right? Yeah. What's the cost of those eight years? So, so if someone's not prepared to spend 20 grand or 30 grand or whatever it is on something, even less, right? Right. What's the cost of not? Yeah, I agree. 100%. <laughs> and that, yeah, that was a big lesson that I had to learn. And, and similar, just recently learned it. That small fish in a big room type situation is, it's terrifying. It's so much easier to put ourselves in rooms where, we know that we're going to be able to contribute and, and lead a conversation. Um, it was, it's similar to the podcasting though. I know that you have your podcast and it's terrifying when you get that first guest that you're like, what do I, why did this person even say yes to my show? Like, what do I possibly have to say to this person? You know? So those small fish in a big um, room situation applies to every single interaction that we have and, and reaching out to people that could help us that we avoid reaching out to because we don't, we aren't willing to feel that uncomfortableness, uncomfortableness. Yeah. So I'm glad you said that. Yeah. I mean, when I started my podcast and this was, this was a bit of a jump into the fire situation. So, so I left the world of private equity to, to move more into helping um, founders and, and business owners. So I, I kind of jumped to the other side of the table. And that's, that was scary because I was earning, you know, seven figure income as a private equity guy. Right. So I'm thinking, well, how am I, woe is me, woe is Nick, right? Woe is Nick, right? <laughs> but, but there was, there was a reality to this, which I've got two young daughters and, you know, they've got a certain lifestyle and I didn't want them to suffer. Right. So it's not like I was, you know, on the street begging, but the point was, you know, how am I going to do this? Right. And so the first thing I did was start the podcast and you know, it, it was the first 25 episodes was me speaking into a microphone by myself, effectively just telling my story cathartically to kind of get all this stuff out of my head. 
Yeah. And then what happened is it went to number one in the UK business charts really quickly and stayed there for like three months. And then to your point about like, I had all these people wanting to come on. And then, then I had my heroes and this, this is, this is the really full on piece, right? So, so we, we talked before pressing record about endurance and running mm-hmm. and I do ultra marathons and the, the, the person that got me into ultra marathons was a guy called Dean Karnazes. Now look him up. He's run across America from LA to New York. He was on the front of time magazine as like the most, one of the most influential sports people in the world, right? Big guy. And he had this book called ultra marathon man. And back in around 2009, 2010, I was sitting in a, a place in Greece. I was on a, in a Greek island reading this book thinking, oh, perhaps I could, I could do that. You know, fast forward a decade and then I've got the guy on the podcast for an hour. Yeah. Right. So, so you know, the point I, I make there, right, is wherever you're starting from today, you know, it may feel like, you know, where you want to get to is a long way away. But I didn't really plan that. I just kind of did stuff and I, yeah. and I, and I leaned into it and I made it important. And after a while, things just started to progress. So small actions had bigger results over time. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to know, because we do have a lot of people that listen to the show that are content creators. What do you think it was that allowed you to be so successful in such a short period of time with a podcast? I mean, when I started, I was told, don't think about numbers for the first six months. And I'm glad that was the advice that I was given. But were, were there things that you would recommend to people who are creating content, whether it be podcast or YouTube or whatever, to allow them to reach the most amount of people? Yeah, there were, there were probably three or four things if I think about it. And some of them were not, I mean, a lot of it wasn't intentional. So the idea of the podcast wasn't to build businesses off the back of it or do stuff that I do now. It was to build some profile around what I was doing, but it was also to help me and to help others. I needed, I needed to, I needed to lean into something. So I went to a Tony Robbins event um, after I left the world of private equity. And I heard this um, quote by Zig Ziglar, famous quote, which is if you help enough people get what they want in life, you have everything you want and need in life. And I'd never heard that before, right? I was in the world of private equity, you go around and you kind of screw people over to make money, right? So I had to get out of that. Yeah, that's another, that's another podcast. And so I thought my, my cup of contribution is empty, right? Mm. So how am I going to fill that cup to get some balance back in my life? Because this is all crazy stuff. So I thought I'm going to help people on podcasts and obviously that grew. But a few things. Firstly, I called it initially scale up your business right? Scale up your business. And not many people, you're right, were using the word scale up, but they kind of knew sort of what it meant. And it kind of delivered what it said on the tin at a very practical level. If you want to scale your business, you listen to this show, right? Yeah. And then, then this is the interesting thing, right? The show wasn't really about business. It was about mindset, as we said. So when people started to come in and listen, they realized that what they were hearing was about what, what you need to do to be successful. So it's kind of like a mixture of business and personal development is what I started to get across. Habits, routines, networks, what you need to do. So, so a lot of it was about who you need to be first, back to that identity point. And then, and then that, that created a point of differentiation. So I wasn't just a business podcast. I wasn't just a mindset podcast. I was a combination. And a lot of people had never seen that before. We're talking four or five years ago now, yeah. right? And so it, it started to grow. Right. And people started to talk about it and started like, I was saying crazy stuff that no one had heard before. Right? Well, I've heard that before. Right. And so it got traction. So that was cool. Um, then I started to go on other podcasts myself like this. 
And that was really interesting. So it wasn't just about me creating content. It was me sharing a message broadly. And then that had more traction of people coming to my show. And then as you start to get that initial piece, you then start to, to get others showing interest who have higher profiles or bigger profiles than you. And then you start to get them coming towards you. Right. And then I, you know, had them on the show and whatever else. I think my first big name in my world was Neil Patel on marketing. Yeah. Then I had, then I had John Lee Dumas on and, you know, I've had a heap of people since, but though they were quite big names in my world. Um, and then I started to collaborate with these people offline as well, you know, speak at their events and all That's these awesome. things. So, so the, the lesson for anyone here is be different, be yourself, be authentic. Uh, don't be afraid of trying different things, right? Absolutely. Because that, that point of differentiation makes a difference. Um, and then and then put yourself out there and be quite relentless and consistent with the message. And then over time, it'll start to grow. I was lucky I did get some quick growth, but Evan Carmichael was one of my mentors and he spent five years with no one listening to his, his YouTube channel. Now he's got 3 million subscribers. It's crazy. You know, it's so important for people to hear things like this because I love Evan. He's an amazing guy. He's, I love his content. He's, he's great. And to hear that he spent any period of time without anybody listening to him oh, just crazy. gives hope to the rest of us. Like Go to his podcast <laughs> and you'll see, he actually has it on the page where like literally for five years, he's got less than, less than 10,000 subscribers. In fact, the first couple of years, he's got like a couple of thousand maximum. And yeah. then all of a sudden it just shoots up. Well, and going back to that conversation we were having at the beginning of this to, you know, what would the world of personal development or business be like if Evan had decided that this just wasn't for him and he was going to call it quits because nobody was listening? Like, I, I can't imagine a social media or business or mindset that doesn't have a conversation about Evan Carmichael in it. No. And, and if you understand why he did what he did and how, and you know, his story is an interesting one because he, he will self admit that he wasn't great. Right. Didn't feel comfortable talking. There was a lot of um, self-confidence things there. And then he sort of hired someone to help him with it. Right. So it comes back to the coaching mentoring and that person just, you know, changed everything. And he talks about it like saying, you know, he had to, practice days and days and days of getting better at it yeah so it's that whole famous saying about you know you get rewarded in public for the hours that you put in practice right that, yes again I'm, I'm very good at bastardizing quotes but something like that <laughs> hey it's, it's <laughs> what we're all about one of my favorite books is steal like an artist and it made me feel okay with taking things have you read that yet by the way no i haven't but i it's, i think everyone does don't they? like i love yeah. tony robbins as i mentioned but tony robbins is basically just doing jim Rohn stuff with his own yeah. style and I often say that I just curate yeah. <laughs> with, with a no, perspective. And that's exactly what the whole book is about is your own style, right? And so he takes all of these amazing current artistic pieces and traces them back to like 16th, 15th century oh, really? art and then ties that into business world. It's so amazing. So I'm sure it goes back to some cave paintings as well. Yes, I'm sure it does. Like the, the idea is, and I think this is super important for people who are starting any type of content strategy that there really isn't an original thought. Like somebody's had it. You might not have heard it, but somebody's had it. It's your experiences and who you are and your identity and, and your DNA that allows you to put that spin on it. That is going to make it special. Yeah, you can overthink this stuff. So I'm not the first person to blend personal development <laughs> and business, 
but you know, the way that I do it or the way that I think about it, um, you know, resonates with, you know, my tribe, right. The people. Yeah. And, and, you know, as I said, you're hundred percent right. What you said as well, Amber, don't worry. I didn't, I don't worry about the numbers. In fact, I don't look at them anymore. My team tells me what they are, but I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't build it. I always record a podcast or do a piece of content for one person and mm-hmm. the viewers, if it helps one person, then it was worth doing. Um, yep. and that's the best way to approach it. 100% agree. So before we switch to the success element, and this may actually tie into it, I just have to have this, this, um, endurance conversation with you. So (laughs) you had your grandfather that you said that was an endurance runner, marathon runner. Um, and then you got into it through your mentor. Why? I think we all get asked this from anybody who doesn't understand why choose to do this. What could possibly be going on in your mind that you think, man, this sounds like a good idea. Well, I, I, I don't know your full story, Amber, but there's probably some, some linkages here. Uh, when I was in the world of corporate, um, I was doing it for various reasons. And I think it was more to impress upon my grandfather, a, a, a success a picture of success because you know he had lots of challenges after he um, had that heart surgery you know he was a very successful business person for a while but after he had the heart problems he had two heart attacks in the end in his mm. 40s um he was told he had to go and do something else less stressful right so yeah. he ended up he, i think he he felt he never realized his true potential and then he started to sort of impress that on me um and the success that i had in business was always something that i think motivated him but what I realized um, is that that really wasn't my calling. What I'm doing now is my mission. What I do now feels very congruent with my values. So I started the running for two reasons, actually. One was to connect with him. So I started running after he passed away. So he ended up passing away in his 70s uh, of cancer. So nothing to do with the heart, which is you know, in itself quite crazy. Um, and there was also me running away from the reality that I'd created for myself. Mm. You know, cause yeah. I didn't like it. I kept getting promoted. Like I got promoted to like crazy positions in business really young. And then I started getting sacked because I used to tell people to get, well, get stuffed. Right? I won't swear on this. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, um, and I was having this massive inner conflict. So I was making a lot of money, but I hated myself and all this stuff. So I ran right a little bit like Forrest Gump <laughs> and, and I would go out there and do these. Like I used to run a marathon. Like the, the marathons that I mentioned, the 67, that's competitive, right? I did a marathon every Sunday for years. Wow. Just get up at five in the morning and run for a few hours, right? And um, what was good about it, though, that I, I did it to run away from emotions, I think, and not face up to the reality of what was going on. But what I learned from it, which is the gift, is incredible amounts of inner strength, right, and mindset. You know, and, and even now, if I need to lean into something, like that most people would probably stop. I just don't stop. Yeah. You know, and I don't give up. And and that I think I learned from putting myself through that physical environment, which then changes your whole emotional state. Yeah. I just cannot overestimate the value that endurance anything in an athletic world has on your ability to be successful in personal and professional environments. When you say you were running away from things, man, that hits home, like just literally running away from this life. And when, when I found fitness and the obstacle course racing world, I was at what I considered my low and I was having, like, I couldn't work. I was having panic attacks and it was something that I had never done before. And it was just something that did not remind me of my life. And then I, I went with that. Um, 
I found this point though, and I'm curious to know if you had a similar experience where I no longer needed the crutch. And so I value the experience and I value what I did and I loved it. And it was a great time of my life, but I don't feel the need to go out and do it anymore the way that I did before. Have you seen yourself taper off from running marathons or do you still do it? Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll answer that. But let me first ask you the question. Why do you think that's the case? I think it's because I did the healing and the inner work and the mindset work that what I was running from, I didn't need to run from anymore. Anything like, you know, there's different, there's different extremes, right? And let, let me, um, before I answer your question, I, I just want to square the circle back to when I was the personal trainer in my, my late teens. So what I found back then is when someone came to see me, um, they were going through something might've been a divorce or they lost a job. There was a lot of, um, women who came to see me who had, you know, got divorced and their husband and husbands had cheated on them and all this sort of stuff. And, um, what I used to say to them is the one thing you can control. There's the one thing in, you, in your whole world that you can control, right? Other than some weird health issue kicking you from, from, from nowhere is, is your body and your physicality. It's totally up to you, what you put in your mouth, you know, what you eat, what you drink, whether you're prepared to get up in the morning and, and go for a run or go to the gym, it's totally your choice, right? In, in the rounds, right? And people who say, I've got no time, I've got no, that's not true, right? You can always, we've all got the time. There's sacrifices to make the time. But what I found is, is a strong mind is created from a strong body. Mm-hmm. And so these women who would come in, predominantly women, it wasn't always women, but they would come in and we would, we would get them looking spectacular. They would do it, right? I would guide them. But then the whole, everything shifted. Okay. And so, so to your, to your point around the running and all that sort of stuff, the extremity of what I was doing, like hundred mile races, that sort of stuff. When I quit the world of private equity and started to lean more into what really matters to me, like what I do now, I mean, I have a great life now. I don't run as much. Mm-hmm. I still go to the gym five times a week and I've got a personal trainer and I, 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 health is such a big part of my identity from when I was the fat kid. Um, but yeah. the idea that I have to go crazy about it, like I'm still interested just because I love it. Like I've got a yeah. Spartan race coming up. I do want to go back and do some longer stuff uh, on my 50th birthday in two years, but I don't feel the need, the desperate need to do it. Yeah. It's, it's a subtle thing, but uh, it's quite important. Like, it's in terms so of important. And, you know, going back to the time comment that you made, like I remember, I didn't think I had time to travel. Like I wouldn't go visit my family. I hadn't seen my family for two years. And I kept saying, I don't have time to get on a plane to go visit them. And then I found this world of obstacle course racing and I was flying around the country to go do these obstacle course races. And I would work a full week and I would take half a day off on Friday and I'd get on a plane and I'd fly to some city and I'd run Saturday and Sunday. And then I would get back on a plane. I'd come back and be to work at Monday, but I still didn't have time to go see my family. And because that's not what I'm running from. That is what I'm running from, right? Like, I don't want to go that way. Um, So the idea of time the way that it then shifts your mindset to where you're like, oh, wait, I do have the time to do these things. And then you got to come up with what else is going to prevent you. And that's where the healing comes in. So I, I love that you mentioned that time's not an excuse at all. Um, it's, it's, it's such a shift. 
But you're right. I, I find, you know, most of the people that I associate with um, who, are, who have successful businesses and enjoy a level of freedom in their life, they all keep fit. Yeah. And I don't think it's a matter of, oh, now I have money and I have time freedom. I'm going to get fit. It's part of their identity. And it comes back to what I said before. It's partly energy management. It's partly um, confidence, self-belief, grit, resilience that you can teach yourself by not giving up. Right. You know, when you're 60 miles into a hundred mile race and you've got 40 miles to go, right. Like yep. mar- what's that a marathon and a half to go. Yep. <laughs> like marathons back to back. It's a different game. Right. And, and, you know, you learn a lot about, you know, life just in that, that short 24 hours. Yeah, absolutely. I heard once, and this was probably a year ago, I was listening to a conference and a guy named Steve Sims said, yeah, I I love Steve to death. I just got back from from another one of his conferences, but he said the difference between you and the people that you look at and see success in is that they value their time more than you do. And that really made sense to me in, do I love obstacle course racing still? Yes, absolutely. I do. Is it the best use of my time to spend, you know, 15 hours a week flying around and doing these obstacle course races? Do I still need to do it? Um, When you start to build the confidence you talked about, that comes with boundaries that allow you to say, why am I really doing this? And is there something else that I should be doing with this time to reach my goals? And that's an incredible place to be. I like the way you said that. Exactly. And, and I think about, um, I don't actually believe balance exists very well. I believe in seasons, right? So mm-hmm. the idea that there's a season where you need to lean into something more um, and then that, that same thing might not be as important in the next season. Yeah. And yeah. So, I definitely believe in harmony and harmony looks different depending on the season you're in. So I yeah, love exactly. that. Like, you know, there are times where at that point in my life, you know, and I had young kids as well. Right. And I was choosing to go out and run for five hours, right? On a Sunday or something. And, and actually there was much more than that. So you've got to sort of think, well, what the hell was going on then that I prioritized that over my family, right? Yeah. And sometimes, and this is, I think, important for, for some of the listeners to hear is sometimes there are subconscious things going on that you have no real awareness of you know, in, your, in your normal consciousness. I'd, I'd venture to say almost all times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> but, but you got to you got this is where levels of intuition and self-awareness become quite important. And you know, I think you've got to sometimes trust that to a point. So so the way I think of it like, you know, when I first got into into more personal development stuff myself, it was like, oh, I've got to follow all these people's morning routines. I've got to mm-hmm. get up at 4:45 and all this stuff. These days I, I just don't care about that anymore. I, 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 I've tuned it into what works for me and there's certain habits that just are how I work. But that's the point where I think you mature, right? As yeah. you start to go through this and you start to work out and you don't hold yourself, you become confident enough that what you're doing is working for what your intentions are, that you don't have to just do everything. And previously for me, it was like, I'm going to leave no stone unturned. But I realized that wasn't serving me. So I changed it. And that's how I feel about running these days. All the things that I do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to ask you really quickly in the success side of this podcast, I ask every single one of my guests this question, and it stems back to when I was in the darkest part of my life that led to obstacle course racing, and I'm sitting in my therapist's office and I'm telling her how much of failure I feel like, and then she's laying out all my accomplishments for me, and she says, (laughs) what does success mean to you? 
And I said, I'm 34 years old and nobody's ever asked me that question. So this is the question I ask every single one of the guests on my podcast. What does success mean to you? How do you define it for yourself? So it's, it's, it's not an answer that's been consistent. So if you asked me that a decade ago, I would have said money and power, right? Yeah. Porsches, you know, million buck houses. You know, that's what I would have said. The perception of success, mainly probably what I would now call achievements, right? Mm -hmm. Which doesn't really go away. It's still there. Like I still, you know, not necessarily to the same extent, but success for me really is about being fully congruent with purpose and values, right? Because, mm -hmm. and, and values, I do a lot of work with um, John Demartini these days and um, he defines values as the highest priorities that you then spend your time doing. So he will say something along the lines of if wealth, if you're not wealthy, then wealth isn't a big priority for you, even though you might say it is, but you've got to be damn honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. So yep. for me, health, health is a priority and I go to the gym every day. Right. You know, traveling is a priority. I travel all the time, whatever. So for me, success is understanding that purpose behind who you are and what you want to create and what you value and what you spend your time doing. And being disciplined enough to say no to everything else. Yeah, there's so much there. There's so much there. I wish that <laughs> we had time to dig into. But on exactly what you said, I will never forget the first time somebody said that to me. And I said, I just don't have time to meal plan or work out. And they said, so start saying that your health isn't a priority to you and see how that fits for you. Yeah. And, and I'm that like, is that the sounds reality. horrible. And they're like, yeah, but it's real. It's real. And, and, and you know what? This is the other thing I'd say is there's no judgment in that. But just right. don't, don't you know, kid yourself or kid others. Because you can't change it until you're willing to say, hey, my priorities are a little bit messed up. Where am I spending this time if this is really a priority to me? And if it's not, then I need to quit spending the mental energy convincing myself it is. It comes back to the choose your heart, right? So so what I say to someone, if you want to if you want to have, you know, high amounts of energy and you want to have a successful business and all that sort of thing, you have to make some choices. Maybe you're not going to drink as much. Maybe you're going to go to the gym more, right? Whatever it is. Like those things may not be stuff that you want to do, but what's worse? Right. And yeah. people's values can change when they start to see the results coming through. I mean, I've seen people who who hated the idea of exercise and then they see the change and they see the results coming through. And the pain that they associated with exercise is well and truly outweighed by the positive that they achieve from the results they're getting. And then their values have changed. Yeah. Man, I feel like I could have like a whole three more hours of podcast with you, but I want to be respectful of your time. And unfortunately, we've both got schedules. So <laughs> I want right. to wrap it's late here in the UK. It's, a, it's eight o'clock here in, in oh this part gosh. of the world. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us in, in your evening time. Right. Um, I have a quick random round question for you before we wrap up or yeah, a couple of questions. Good. You good with that? I'm good with All that. right. If you could do anything other than what you're doing now, what profession do you think would be fun to attempt? Definitely professional athlete. Okay. That fits. No, I, I I, I'm, I'm obsessed with basketball. I've got a picture of Larry Bird up here. Really? Um, and I love basketball. I've always have. I played it since I was six years of age. So yeah, definitely. I'd love, I'd love the, not just so much about the idea of that, but just what that world is like. I think it'd be yeah, fun. That's awesome. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Okay, give me a second. Give me a second. Um, Do you know what? I, I'd like to, this is, this is a bit more of a thing. I'd like to go back and see how my grandparents, you know, how they grew up. I'd like to meet them when they were younger. 
Like, I just think it's an interesting thing. It's not, so I wouldn't want to go back to like, you know, 500 years and see what, you know, medieval, whatever yeah. it was like. I'd like to go back and just have a, a deeper connection with those people because I met them at points in life. And, and time travel means me going back now with a different level of appreciation for that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, what book do you think every business owner or entrepreneur needs to read when they're in the beginning of their journey? Oh, it's, it's the classic. Do you want to guess it? How to Win Friends and Influence People. No, 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 no. Close. No. It's, uh, it's Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Think Hill. and Grow Rich. That's the other one that's always on the top of my head. When always it here. To... It's somewhere here next to me. I have it. I read it daily still. So, yeah. Really? I, that's I flip awesome. through it. I, think, I just think there's so many things around mindset in that book that, you know, if you get your head around what that really is about, it's not really about wealth. It's about how you need to change. Rich is defined as who you are. And I think that's an important thing. But it comes back to the identity thing we discussed earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And my last question, and this is purely selfish because I need new things for my playlist. What's your pump up song? What do you listen to when you just can't oh, have a bad day? You know what it is? It's an old song. Well, not that old, but like if I'm going out and if I go, it's I go, in like the nineties or two thousands and you just called it old, then we're in oh trouble. God, no. well, I, I, <laughs> uh, it's, um, lose yourself by Eminem. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I like is it. That, like if I, sometimes I don't do this consistently, but I'll go for a run early in the morning and I'll do affirmations and things. I have different statements and I've had that. That's been really powerful for me. And sometimes if I'm bored of doing that, because <laughs> after a while, you're like an idiot at five in the morning doing that. Um, I'll put that song on. And I think there's a lot of lessons in that, in the wording that he uses, which is powerful for entrepreneurship and certainly the early stages of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I appreciate you, Nick, so much for coming on. I'm glad that we were able to connect and make this happen. You have so many amazing experiences and pieces of wisdom for people. If they want to follow up with you and continue this conversation or learn from what you can teach them, where's the best place for them to come contact you? Thank you, you? Amber. That's been a delight. Um, so yeah, I think the first place is have a listen to my podcast if that can serve you. So that's Scale Up with Nick Bradley. You can find that the usual places. Um, 200 and something episodes in now. I don't know how many I've done. Lots. <laughs> so check that out. Uh, and then I usually direct people. I've got a group, a free group on Facebook, which is called Build Your Business Empire. It's mainly for people who are a little bit later stage, uh, the ones that are kind of in that scale up stage and they want to learn how to do that. But it's, got, it's, not a, it's not a massive community, but it's a great community of people who help each other. And I often say, go there. I, I go live in there all the time. And if people want to connect with me, that's the best place to find me. Amazing. We'll go ahead and have both of those links in the show notes for this. So when you guys check out that podcast, you'll be able to reach out to Nick. Nick, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been great, Eva. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that's sounds like something that you're interested in the name of that facebook group is success center head over there request to join and i look forward to connecting with you soon